The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. Now get off the couch. <laughs> don't, don't do that on my couch. So anyway... Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendary Podcast. I had no idea when the music was going to allow me to start talking. I, I, I'm, I'm flying blind here. So, uh, yeah. When do we start our new show on BYU television? <laughs> I was going to say it sounded like an Amway. It, yeah, just, uh, we're, we're working on it. We're, we, we need to find some new, uh, some new music for reasons. And so I, I don't think that will be the end product but uh you know we'll, we'll find some new stuff anyway i'm sorry we're getting off track here welcome to the legendarium it only took 30 seconds have you met this us? is this is rhythm of war part five part two uh so i know this sounds like one of those uh like the charlie sheen comedies from the 80s or the 90s you know anyway part five part two uh okay so this is rhythm of war full full spoilers ahoy uh, for the uh, for Rhythm of War and the Cosmere generally, I think yeah. we'll probably be uh, talking about a little bit of Cosmere stuff. So if you're a Cosmere newbie, oh, yeah. um, then consider turning around. Um, I don't. We're not going to give away like the ending of any of the books, but you know we'll, we'll dip in and talk about some of the story stuff. Everybody dies. Anyway, so <laughs> let's do let's do some introductions. I am Craig Hanks, your host, and. Uh, let's see over there. I once threw him off a tower, but he just came right back up again, screaming something about accepting his nature as a major creep or something. I don't know. It's Ken Johnson. Uh, I, you got me. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say and, something about buoyancy, but you know, you guys, I am, I'm really glad. Honestly, it's a relief that I'm done reading that 1200 page tome. I just wish it hadn't been the exhausting, tedious autobiography of Todd Wente. And I tell you, cutting it down to twelve hundred pages was an effort. <laughs> I'm sure it was. <laughs> and you know, it, I had a problem, you guys. I couldn't think of an insult for him today. But hey, it, it happens to like one in five podcast hosts. <laughs> it's not. It's not that big a deal. Don't worry about it. it. Happens to everybody. It's Ryan Bruckman. I will not be able to help you resolve that issue. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so <laughs> welcome everybody, and we are going to be, like I said, discussing Rhythm of War today, part five, and really kind of the book as a whole, but we'll concentrate on part five again. In case you uh, missed the last episode that we did on this, we did another Rhythm of War part five episode in which Stephanie and Megan uh, came into the studio and Ryan and I hosted them, but we wanted to make sure Todd and Ken got their say as well and address some of the other uh, uh, Discord questions. So that is the goal today. That's uh, what we're going to be doing. But before we do that, I'll just remind everybody to head to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. Mm -hmm. uh, go join us on Discord if you want to join in the conversation. We love seeing all the new people there. Um, it's always, I always have this kind of bet in my mind. Like, I, I, it, there's no such thing as a three-sided die, but, you know, maybe six divided by two or something like that. But I, I always want to, like, flip a coin or something and say, is this person going to be A, really excited to engage with our discord audience be a lurker or b or c a bot there's no oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh you know we, we get those every once in a while but uh yeah no go go join us on discord you can find links to all that at the Even legendarium on one of the three at the legendarium.com 
And uh, lastly, if you are listening to this on your favorite podcatcher, thank you so much. And I hope you will uh, go give us a positive review on whatever service you use to listen to us. But also, if you would prefer to watch us, go uh, join our YouTube channel. Yeah. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, this will be on there as well, presumably. I mean, assuming all of the uh, technology works and it's uh, it's been... It's been a, a it's, bit of a day today. It's going to be questionable today. None yeah. of us should ever be on YouTube, but we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Basis so, for radio on video. <laughs> in the last Rhythm of War Part 5 episode, we talked about the entire section without ever actually synopsifying it because we didn't have Ken here to do it. Word. <laughs> that's the word. That is now the word. Um so, Ken, you are here, and you I, uh, have a synopsis for us. It, it's going to be so fly, it'll make B-San's mom cry. That's... And now you're invited to leave. Oh, I'm out. <laughs> I'm, I... <laughs> it's been a while since I've been in studio, if you can't tell. I'm counting the Jeez. syllables on synopsisifying. All right. <laughs> Hush your face. Four parts down now, and science class is officially over, Cosmere nerds. You call it part five. I call it recess, because it is time for all the good punch and action. Dalinar's boss. Man, were you an a-hole at recess or something? Is that like just recess mean, okay, fine, I get to go punch everybody now. Great. It meant that he got punched. That's oh, what it was. That was more likely the case. So Dal Dalinar's bondsmith boot camp with Ashar goes horribly weird. The herald of bonding is blown way past crazy into full-blown delusions of grandeur. He believes he is the big G god and re claimed his honor blade from the Shen, which freaks out a certain truthy skybreaker. He has plans to become the new Adonalsium and has apparently figured out some way to bring Radiant Sprint into the physical realm, heretofore thought impossible and still just as creepy as damnation. But we start with Dalinar only because he begins the section. The real action is back in Eurothero. Eurothero, I never can say it. I don't know. You did well. But wrong, right? Where Navani, full of grief, manages to pick up, dust herself off, and keep moving forward because there's always another journey to be taken, and hers includes singing and blinding fools. She finally bonds with a sibling, becoming bondsmith number two, and puts all those cool new to good use in acting that sweet, sweet justice we've all wanted, blinding the vile liar, as Todrick calls him, and really saving Kaladin in the process, which is good for us because it's kind of like getting the greatest hits from your favorite band. Kaladin goes through the worst of the bad places again to finally realize that every failure is not directly on him, and again, mm -hmm. swearing the fourth ideal in heart-rending fashion and kills the pursuer in the same gruesome and awesome way possible. Oh my gosh. Anyway, also, <laughs> Relaine finally gets that spren, but it's a corrupted misspren like Renarin's, making him another Truth Watcher hybrid should be interesting. But then we get some sick new rhythms fused in heavily ones falling away from Odium and following Venli back to the listener tribe, only to find out that they've somehow domesticated the Chasm Fiend. The new scarier heavenly one uh, who's ready to destroy humanity in Odium's name. And oh yeah, how about a new skin suit for Odium that makes even Hoyd nervous? Oh. And then Teravodium screws with his... Teravodium. Teravodium. Sure. All right, all right. But he, and by extension, we have bigger issues to worry about. A duel of champions with Odium just in the next book or 10 days away. If Dalinar wins, it bottles up Odium for Millennium. If he loses, Dalinar becomes king of the fused. Oy. Oh, yeah, and Shallan and Aelin were totally in this book, and uh, she's going to be a world hopper by the end of book five. Her fancy new Elantria Sion in tow. I'm sure Adolin will go with her. Maybe he won't. Maybe he'll just kick around in the cognitive realm. The point is they were in this part as well. Point of correction on my part, Vinley is a will shaper. In the previous recap, I called her a truth watcher. I've been kicking myself about it ever since. Who's the third Bondsmith? I wonder if it's just going to be Ishar. Is, is that the end of your... 
thing? I'm asking the questions. The oh, questions okay. Sorry. Who's the third Bondsmith? And on a scale of one to summer camp on Bray, how should we be that Hoyd, of all people, is now worried? So, so one that, to summer camp on Bray's. Yeah. I like that. So that's it for Rhythm of War. Now we wait for what I've been clamoring for for three books now a Kaladin Zeth buddy cop novel. Yes. Or as I want to call it, Skybreaker and the Storm Blessed Soldier. I'm so excited. And while we want, I want to know more about the darn shard. We are not going to allow anybody to call it <laughs> Skybreaker and the Storm Blessed Soldier. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. So thank you, Ken. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Craig just sits there and stuns. I've taken I've taken enough of a break from these that uh, yeah I just feel assaulted by a Ken recap. I haven't <laughs> I haven't had yeah, I, I haven't had what forty seven Jim Butcher books to practice with like you have done. Oh my gosh. So. It is it. There's a point at which you just kind of say. Okay, let it all flow over the top of you. It's okay. It's okay. Particularly stop, in a Sanderson book, there's so much there. It seriously took me a long time to cut that thing down. So, Ken. Yeah. Did you listen to the episode that we made with the ladies? I did. Good. So, what did we not talk about there that you really want to talk about? We haven't talked about Teravangian enough, but, well, the one I really want to talk to you about is Teft. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, that's kind of where we left. And, okay. Uh, thank you. And uh, uh, what's his name? The blind dude. No, I don't want to. Moash. Oh, there we go. I don't want to remember his name anymore. But uh, we dude. we haven't talked about Moash, and we haven't talked about Teft enough, and oh, that seriously These... is. I, I don't get very emotional in books, but that one seriously just broke me. You don't <laughs> get very emotional at all. Teft's, yeah, Teft's death, though. Teft's really, death was hard. These are these are good choices uh, to talk about these two because I think, like I said at the end of the last episode, Ryan, um, Teft is one of the best secondary characters that yes. I've seen in a Sanderson novel. Yep, absolutely. Um, I, would, I, would I would also say in any novel. I But I'm going to throw Moash in there as well. I'm not <laughs> saying you should like him. No. Uh, but as far as a well-drawn, interesting character with uh, with a lot of um, philosophical meat on the bones of his storyline and all that stuff, Moash is a fantastic secondary character. And and this shows yeah. in how vehemently people hate him. Yeah, right? they, I, I they, think yeah. so. They wouldn't care if he wasn't such a well-drawn character. As a writer, if, you're, if, if your conflict is not compelling... Uh, then readers won't read. I mean, that's just that's just kind of the you know that's that's stating the obvious. Mm -hmm. But there are lots of ways for you to create that kind of conflict. Brandon has done a magnificent job of creating the kind of conflict that none of us want. All of us have dealt with or recognized at some point along the way, and he just doesn't stop. Every time I think we're at the point where I'm like, fine, storming Moesh can just. <laughs> He comes back. It's like a horrible kind of disease that just every time you think you're cured, you're better off. And no, no, not so much. Uh, when when this happened, I this meaning storming Moash. Hey, um, Todd, use your freaking words, man. I'm trying. I'm trying. Um, when 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 we get to the when we get to the last portion of this book. I, if seeing Moash along the line and and recognizing that his plan uh, is all about making sure that Kaladin is so depressed and so gone that he will take his own life, that he will just give up, because that's the only way that they can that they can remove him from the equation, uh, was was disgusting. It was horrible. It was for me. It solidified him as 
an absolute one, one of the absolute worst kind of villains that I can think of. Uh, what is the moment when Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs becomes absolutely terrifying? Oh. It's the moment when he talks about how he made Miggs swallow his own tongue just by talking to him through the wall. Same yes. kind of thing. Right? Yes. That's, that is a villainous character right there. You you stop and you go, this, is, this isn't this is even human. This is this is so far away from human that that I'm really it made me it made me tremendously frustrated and angry. And my children heard me wandering around the house when I wasn't listening to the book saying storming Moash. (laughs) And my daughter was like, what is all of this? I said, there's no way that I can summarize it for you. You're going to have to read the whole thing. Uh, She still hasn't. That's fine. (laughs) But then to have him come back. And to watch him wreak the kind of devastation that he does by on Navani uh, and on Teft. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not over it. I'm not going to forgive. I'm, I, we had a convert. We, we were talking a little bit about, okay, now that, now that, now that he is free of, some of the some of the influence of uh, that he was under. Uh, what are we going to do about it? And I'm like, no, no, he's. I'm not. I'm not forgiving ever. That's not my. That's. I'm not going to do that for me. How very untod like of you. Well, I'm. Not, I'm sorry. I just no, no. I'm not. I'm not interested in forgiving him, and it's not really my place to to do it. But seeing I, as I, how he's fictional and all. Exactly. Okay. But he's Moash is the kind of villain that we secretly wish all MCU Marvel Cinematic Universe villains were because they they just kind of come and go and they're weak villains. But he's got so much depth. I mean, we've been with him. We've seen his progression to and his descent to what he is now. But in this book, we get to see reasons for his depth, reasons for his descent, yeah. like like when he shows up in front of Navani. And by this time, any reader really just wants to hate him. And then he gets in front of Navani and he explains, you know, was your son a king when he murdered Kaladin's, not Kaladin's parents, when he murdered my grandparents, when when that lord, you know, that... Roshon. Yeah, when Roshon, when that minor lord you sent to get him out of the way killed my grandparents. Was he a king then? You don't see the devastation that that your actions wreak on the little people, that sort of thing. So you see where the bitterness comes from, and he's not entirely wrong to feel that way. When you think about it, I mean, obviously, this is a very dark and disturbing way to to go about uh, releasing your anger, but you can see how he got there. And now you get to see the devastation that he wreaks and you get to see the little glimmers of uh, manipulation and and pain that he's Mm -hmm. he's got going in there when. When Odium's influence leaves him for a time and you can see that he is just racked with guilt and being destroyed by it and. I was not sad to see it, you know, as a reader, I was like, oh, good. You eat every little ounce of that guilt, but he's going to be, he's going to be a fun villain for the next, for the next book. So the real question here is, do you believe he will get a redemption arc or do you believe he is on a consistent path of evil down? And how would you feel if he was carried over into the back half of the series? No, I don't think he, uh, well, I, I can't say I don't think, but I hope not get a redemption arc. I hope he gets that moment right before death where he is lost from Odium's influence and he sees every horrible thing he's done and he has to live with that up until the moment he dies and then he's just dead. He's gone. Uh, okay, all uh, right. So, Ryan, that. 
my question for you then on uh, along these lines is are you okay with the way darth vader was treated at the end of return of the jedi you know so that's it's a it's a way a way for us to look at it as far as somebody a, a character who similarly was as horrible as you can be and was mm-hmm. was under the influence of somebody else but you know uh, choices are not, made yeah that's that's not an excuse it may be an explanation but it's not an excuse and he did horrible things mm-hmm. and deserves every bad thing coming his way um and then at the end of return of the jedi uh yeah he forsakes the emperor throws him down the shaft um <clears throat> kills him uh, <laughs> and, Kill, kills him so he's actually dead so, uh, but anyway but then we get this little moment and then at the very end of the movie he force ghosts and it's like oh happy light side Anakin again whatever and it's like whoa 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 <laughs> hang on a second you know do you see what I'm getting at like would it be okay with you if Moash Darth Vadered or would you rather that he just go down with the Death Star uh, I think that is a, uh, an accurate Oh man, we're, we're gonna head down. A, <laughs> I just, I just broke Ryan. I, you know, his brain. I am excited to hear this one could form. <laughs> no, because I, my, my, I would long form respond to this by addressing the Darth Vader argument rather than dealing with the Moash thing. Just yeah. Uh, so I'm not gonna. It's do just that. an illustration. Uh, the thing is, I, I think that uh, I could see Moash being given an opportunity to make a better choice and start heading in that direction. Uh, and that may require a noble sacrifice or something. Does it obliterate the history behind? No, but it does show a choice being made and that it can not fully redeem a character or for fully redeem everything, but it does have a redemptive aspect, if that makes sense. Yeah. I so, do not think that Moash, So I don't want a redemptive arc for him, but I could see it and I'd be okay with it. Yeah. What I want for him wouldn't be that he gets back on track to becoming radiant again you know and rejoining bridge four you know getting the spread and whatever and becoming you know kaladin 2.0 i i wouldn't want that for him but i could see a redemption arc where uh moash is trying really hard to forsake that odious past of mm-hmm. his and uh and goes to work in kaladin's counseling center or something and just like renounces everything gives up all of his powers honor blade nothing and you know like i'm just a, i'm just a blind guy here to help you through your issues like i've been there you know whatever he would have that ability potentially if, uh, so so that's what a redemption arc could look like for me that i would be okay with mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah I, it makes sense i'm I don't love it. I, like, I, I really don't. I think that he's, uh, yeah, he, yeah. he's better served to maintain the villainous nature than to try and flesh out the good side and be like, sure. Yeah, here's here's how you come back from being this bad of a person. But um, Brandon, Brandon has shown up to this point that he is not just willing and able, but kind of desirous to take what we thought was the protagonists or what we thought was the good guys and the bad guys and just mix them together and yeah i'll make buy a, that. make yeah. a huge melange out of everything i'll buy that be uh, uh, the i i don't like the idea of a of a redemptive arc and just in case anybody's thinking that craig swayed me <laughs> at all with that um I, I but i recognize that it is it is a choice that is open and is not surprise me the part for me that would and maybe this is maybe this is part of me being uh looking at it from the standpoint not as a not as a guideline for how to live, uh, but as a as a piece of literature, 
I really want bad guys to be bad sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I want it to be You want clear. your Saurons. I really yeah. do. Yeah. And we've, we've, over the past 20, 30 years, maybe, uh, 40 years, we've seen a lot of, we've seen a lot of indications of really bad villains turned into very, very, very sympathetic characters. Are you talking about like the, uh, oh, what's her name? The, the Maleficent. Maleficent effect? Yeah. I'm so tired the, of that. The wicked effect? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I my daughter, you bring up Wicked. My daughter loved it. I watched it and I said, well done show. No, I'm sorry. I don't, that's not, I, yep. mm, I get it. And we all want to talk about the fact, well, there's reasons. You bet there's reasons, but there's choices. Yep. And, <laughs> and I, I really, I want that. I want that level of clarity. One of the things that I loved about my, about the, the kinds of stories that I read when I was a kid was the clarity between when you make bad choices, bad things happen. You are a bad person. Let's get real with this. And when you make good choices. What, what do you say then, Todd, to, oh gosh, we're really getting far afield. But I Diving think into level three? But it is interesting, I guess, uh, if, as long as we're talking about Moash, does he... Should, does he have to get his comeuppance, literally speaking, like, or it's not a good story for you? Um, but what do you say to the argument that that's not the way the world works? Like, is uh, it's a it's a fun concept, but it's not a real thing. No, I totally what, get it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I totally get it. It's so it's, it's not about their... it, it's not about how it works. It's about helping us understand how we should work. That's my point with that. Is that for me? It was a, and it's not about whether or not anybody agrees with my particular value system or your particular value system. It's about having integrity within a value system it says, Oh, I recognize do no harm or, you know, whatever these pieces are about being human, about how do we live as better human beings. And I think when we are shown individuals who take actions that are reprehensible to the rest of their group, they betray people, they destroy people that they were, that they swore to protect. Um, those are, those are tough. Those are tough issues. I recognize, and there's, and probably lots of, lots of fodder that we could take and say, we're watching a lot of that happen in our political arenas, in our social arenas. We're, we're watching a lot of those kinds of things. Granted, thank you very much. Yes, those are true. But that's why in the literary realm, I want it to be just a little bit more clear because I want to have something that we aspire to and that we can look at and say, where am I at on that sliding scale? And let me move just a little bit more to this yeah, yeah. one you side or the you other. You want your literature to be aspirational, not necessarily purely descriptive. Yes, I do. Um, and and I would love to have that as a conversation. Maybe we'll have that as a side conversation some point in time. Can, yeah. There's there's room for both. But I really do like my, my literature, my movies, all of those kinds of things. I like them to contain with them uh, a piece of this is how life could be better. Can, okay. can we speak for a moment about about an example of that? Sliding to the better and a really well done redemptive arc in Teft. In Teft. I, I wanted to get back. You brought oh, up Teft first yeah. and then we went off on Moash. But yeah, let's talk about He's Teft. He's such a great character. I love the I love the simple characters, the ones who kind of fly under the radar, who are not doing all of this world shaking political uh, big decision making that, that just live their lives and try to make the right decisions or or affect in their little spheres, their little realms. And Teft is just such a great example of somebody who was, who had ideals and then just had bad things happen and 
you know, just like lots of people who are in the depths, they they turn to the bottle, they they turn to the weed or whatever, and and or the moss the in this moss. case. The weed. <laughs> okay. I, yeah. When I said the weed, I was trying to look for the moss. I, okay, I was looking I for you. his literal weed, but um, <laughs> but who who do the best they can, sometimes backslide, but ultimately come back around, and the the, the fact that he had his moment of hope and his moment of peace right before he went. How can you not just hope for, for something like that for everybody, you know, to where you at the very final moment, you have that moment of clarity where you, you did all right, you know, and, and hopefully you do all right at the end. But he just had such a great arc. I love Teft so much. I got to the point with with Teft in in this book that I really connected with him better than I think all of the others in the others in the others, I was, you know, the kindly mentor and, you know, some of those kind of the gruff, but kindly mentor. Well, and, and yeah, everybody, every leader needs a good sergeant. Absolutely. And he, he was the textbook sergeant. Of... He, he was. And hallelujah. He, yeah. And, and Kaladin absolutely needed that. Uh, and, and well done and well written and well portrayed. Um, and I did a, I did a pretty decent job of staying somewhat disconnected from Teft until part five and then it was just really really not fair yeah <laughs> because i was like and and I, and I remember saying to myself it was the it was the chapter i think i i and i don't have my notes i, I don't have the section marked but i think at the end he said you know he, he did the best he could and it was going to be okay yeah and i was like okay i i think i have a favorite I think I have a favorite character that I want to that I want to follow that isn't one of these main characters that I'm really just absolutely thrilled with. Rock's gone. He was my he was the one that I follow that I that I was just like. Would you say he was your rock? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, uh, but but then to to have that brief moment and then have it snatched away was really not. It was beautifully done. It was well written, and it was not fair. I was I was heartbroken as just about everybody was I think yeah. you know in that scene um it had the desired effect with the exception I think um with with one little caveat I should say we've gone through three books of getting to know all these characters including Teft uh and then in the fourth book he's out for most of the book he's yeah, around yeah. for the beginning he's around for the end but I I think I suspect that that moment would have landed even harder for me if I'd have actually if I had spent a book with him uh, going through the issues that he did in book three. If that had does been, that, if if that, that had fair? been, yeah, that if been that good. had been, yeah. uh, an entire uh, multiple chapters of digging through that and multiple moments of realization of just how just just how deep this self loathing had gone for Taft. Um, yeah, I think, I think it which, would have been much more painful, which we get a book earlier. And so it's right. there. It's not like the, it's not like the things don't happen. I just think the timing of it, yeah. um, again, from a literary standpoint, it all happens, you know, organically enough for a, a fantasy book, I guess. Sure. Um, but just as far as the timing of it, it's like, ah, oh, I wonder if this would have been more effective at the end of book three somehow. Because yeah. we had just gone through all that stuff with him and, and learned all all about the moss and whatnot. Well, except that the the one part that I think is is kind of critical for that is that it's it's about Kaladin coming to rely more on Teft. Mm. 
uh, and and recognizing, you know, when Tef shows up at the at at the surgeon's center and says, "Well, if you're going to be here, I guess I should be here too," you know, kind of a deal. And yeah. it's like, wait a minute, what? What? I don't. You you should be someplace. No, I should be here, right? With you know, this whole this whole connection between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I I think that needed to be that needed to be part of it and. The connection between them and and David, David, and okay. and Relaine. There, there are many, there are many of Bridge Four sections were fantastic. I, David is such a fantastic character. Oh man! Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay, we gotta stay on Teft because oh, Ryan, yeah, sorry, Ryan was the one who reminded us at the end of the last episode that hey, we haven't talked about Teft. So I, I wanted to make sure I let you say your piece about Teft. Any, anything to add on or, or. Uh, a change from what we've said? Not really. The you guys have covered uh, fairly well the uh, arc that Teft has has gone through, and I just it it is a very emotional moment at the end of the book to oh yeah to lose him. But even more so, I think uh, the moment when he's when he's dying, the losing his spren, um, oh. and the moments he has just before that, where uh, the work that she had done to remind him that he was worth saving and. Just those moments, uh, they are destinations, you know, for people who battle with self-loathing, uh, whether it be uh, dealing with, I don't think I'm a good person because of addiction, or I'm, I don't think I'm a good person because of whatever it may be that it puts that that negative view on you. Uh, that he had someone in his corner, not only with Bridge Four, but in his spren, who said, "No." I'm here with you because I see in you value. I chose you. I chose you. Yeah. You are worth saving. And I need, as soon as you realize that, I'll be able to grant you even greater power. And I know that not everyone has that in their life, but there, that is something, if, if you find yourself in that situation, finding that support structure, that ability to someone who says you are worth saving. Um, and then that's part of the reason why it's so emotionally draining and so taxing. It's not just that we love Teft. It's the it's what he had come to realize and appreciate that really makes it hit home that, you know, it's it's the opposite effect of of, of Moash uh, in yeah. in words of radiance, you know, or not words of radiance, uh, Oathbringer. It's the opposite effect where they have a realization and then the moment is taken away from them. Not Moash, Elokar. Elokar's moment Elokar. when he starts to turn. Yeah. And it's like, oh yes, this and then he doesn't get to go any further with it. And then we see Teft gets this moment. And he realizes it, and he's going to now. I hadn't thought about that parallel. Drop. That's a that's a good one. Hey, is it? Are we frustrated by this? We keep getting the the rug yanked out. Our main characters get their moments, but our secondaries seem to get their moments and then have things taken. Is this a little? Oh boy, is this a possible criticism? Uh, you know, or or I guess <laughs> maybe it's just a point of comparison with somebody like George Martin, who is. Um, always ready to to murder the main character and just shift the POV somewhere else, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, to kind of keep you on your toes. Uh, I, I'm not ready to criticize Brandon for it. I don't think there's any real problem with it. This I wouldn't call a, it a criticism. It's a story, it and this is how stories go. But it is notable that, yeah, oh, if you're a main character, that's a lot of plot arm, armor you got right there. It's, Relatively speaking, yeah. And, and he uses these secondary characters as the kind of... As the, the emotional... The emotional fodder. Yeah to drive uh, that, that part of the story. 
it's definitely an author tendency. Yeah, and, and I mean, and that might be all there is to say about it. I mean, yeah, I'm not that. I, I I'm bringing it up. That doesn't mean I'm like real worked up or that I think this is a mistake or something. It's just notable. You're it's not, certainly you're not wrong though. It, it's certainly a characteristic choice. Yeah, because he does. It, he's not doing it just here in Rhythm of War. It's a characteristic yeah, choice that a, he makes along the way. All over with the uh, with all of his with all of his, and it allows, uh, I think at least, it allows for the for us to be unafraid to invest in the main characters and recognize that if we make the choice, I mean, I, I'm, I now say to myself, okay, if you're not a main character and I choose to invest in you, I better be ready for the moment when you just, when, when you are gone, Although, because, because Brandon will use it. It's <laughs> true. There is a text or a perfect example in this book of a secondary character who has graduated to primary character? character status, though, and that's Navani. Oh, okay. So she, I mean, I, the Way of Kings and, and Words of Radiance in particular, it didn't seem like she was supposed to be anything more than, hey, I'm Gavilar's wife who's pretty smart with the techie stuff, and I just show up once in a while and flirt with Gav, with Dalinar, and then, you know, and then they get married and everything. But, but she didn't seem like she was supposed to be. And then what do they do, Ken? They have the sex. Ah, we got him to say it. Hey, all right. Did he say the whole word? Did he just kind of fade it uh, out? Okay, no, I said the, I, I, I finished the word. Okay. I, I okay. finished. Right. I finished the sex. Now get off my couch. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't do that on my couch. So anyway, yeah. Uh, so Dalinar and Navani, I mean, they get married and they have the sex and, and she graduates into primary character status. I don't think she was supposed to be at this point. Honestly, by book four, I guess she was. I don't know where he made the decision. What are you talking about? I don't, I don't know where she, where Brandon made the decision to turn her into a primary character where along the story. But it doesn't feel like in, in the first book, book and a half, that she was designed to be a major character. Why really? Not? I don't know. I just... I, I, I disagree. Okay. I do too. Okay. That, that's fine. I just didn't get that she feeling was, initially that if, she, this is where she was heading. she had been less of an interesting fleshed out uh, well-drawn character in book one i might agree with you yeah but from the moment we meet her she is she's interesting um she's sassy she's <laughs> that, uh, she's got her own she's plans and designs she's never there just as a prop for some other character that is true yeah she's, so, she's yeah. blanche from golden girls she's sassy <laughs> anyway okay so yeah I, I i'm not with you on that one ken Sorry. okay that's fine respect um but who was the other one you talked about? Navani, and you mentioned another name at the beginning. Dabid. Dabid. Dabid, yeah. talked about Dabid. Dabid's great. Relaine. Relaine is growing into uh, quite a character. I was, can can we point out, I, I don't know if this is tangent, can, can we talk about the Relaine versus Navani Bondsmith? Um, if you want to drive the conversation with it. Yeah, I, go for it. Well, it came up a little bit with, with the girls, but I... I was a little bit disappointed. I, I thought Navani was always the natural choice to become the Bondsmith. I was a little bit disappointed that it wasn't Relaine, only in the sense that I thought it was a nice it was a nice touch to have one of the Bondsmiths be a Parshendi, to be a listener. Um, only and there's that, still room for that. That seems like unity and bonding to me, to have one be a human and one be a listener, and then maybe the third is Ishar himself. Who knows? I mean, but... I doubt that. Uh, well, I, I doubt it, too. I, but, I don't I think... Mean, maybe, Maybe Zeth and and Kaladin figure out a way to make him not crazy, and he becomes the third Bondsmith or something. Are but. there are there any heralds that we think by the end of this story aren't going to have their heads cut off? Oh or no, whatever? they're entirely. I think they're all unredeemably psycho at this point. And I think you might see a, a few of them get pulled into use. I wouldn't say that they're going to become heroes or anything, but I guarantee I can pretty much guarantee you that Ishar will have 
they'll figure out some way for the Von Smith training to happen. Yeah. For Dalinar, uh, for Misha's moment of clarity. Yeah, his moment yes. of clarity, exactly. Um, but much like the building of the Knights Radiant itself, this will probably all happen off screen and we'll all be really frustrated. And <laughs> they'll see Dalinar's training montage and no, it was taken away. Right. Possibly. Yeah, so just radiance of plenty everywhere. Well, I think uh, there's a whole storyline that it keeps coming back in and then disappearing with that has to deal with the honor blades that I think you're going to end up that that this storyline Ishar and the Bondsmiths and the Shin will all wrap that up and bring that together. Um, yeah, but are we going to get that before book 10? Yeah, I honestly think yeah. that you are my my expectation uh, and we're getting into predictions now well, is then. that you will have a fairly a fairly closed story at the end of book five, knowing that there's a handful of people and situations that will carry forward. Okay. But I think, I think most I think everything so. else, everything we've pretty much everything we've set up here will be resolved uh, at the end of five. I expect there will be a pretty good time jump between five and six as well. Oh, I, yeah. I don't know that I don't haven't heard any words of Brandon or anything, but I just, I feel like that is just a natural thing for like years to pass between those two. Yeah. There's, there's a possibility certainly set up that way with the 10,000 years or 1,000 years or whatever it is. Well, we usually do predictions. Years, we usually do predictions at the end of an episode, but are there any others? A modern water writer wants to know. <laughs> predictions for book five. Do you, do you guys have any others? Well, I've, I've said since since the first uh, episode of this that I think Shallan and possibly Kaladin, but definitely Shallan becomes a world hopper. And I think that's been clear because now she has a Sion. She's got to find Thytokar. Who doesn't know who Thytokar is? But, I mean, and I, I think she's off-world. But I don't think Adolin goes with her. I think Adolin stays in the cognitive realm and maybe does some, like, you guys were talking about, like, sprint outreach stuff last episode or something. I think... Well, I I think I was saying he's going to stay... Not not stay, like, permanently Maybe not permanently, never go but, back, but he will, he will live a lot of his life in the cognitive realm because that's where he will get to continue developing his relationship with, with my Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's brilliant to have a character that is like the cognitive realm of the sprint outreach coordinator from the humans or something like, I think that's a fantastic idea. I really do. I'm like, somebody spent too brilliant. much time in corporate boardrooms. Uh, I, I think that Kaladin's, uh, Kaladin's development as a, as a character is going to require him to, be away from Roshar and that either he goes into the cognitive realm and has and spends time uh, perhaps with perhaps with Adolin perhaps not but he spends time away from Roshar and that when he comes back to Roshar in the last and time has gone on without him and things have changed and he has to come to grips with what has what what looked like was going to be the promise and what wound up being the promise, what wound up being the outcome, uh, that he has to deal with that in much the same way that he had to deal with all of his, uh, all of the, the mess that was book one and two. Mm. Mm. Okay. Ryan, any other predictions that we didn't do last time? Um, I don't think so. I'm on, I've been trying to think through some different things as trying to piece together what the potential twist could be. I do not think that that is Adolin's future. No. 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 I mean, he is king of a non-existent country. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's a part of me that keeps playing with a theory. I have or zero. No, no, he's not. He's not. He gave it up for, because now we have for Queen Yasna. Yasna. Sorry. Yes, that's my, my bad. Um, I, I keep playing with this idea in the back of my head. I 
Dalinar says he's going to be his own champion, but something is going to prevent him from being able to do that. And so the next step is like, well, then Kaladin steps in. No, it's not going to work out. Yeah, like, something's going to block that. So we have this whole group of uh, corrupted Spren, uh, Knights Radiant, and this new type of bond that is formed between the dead, the dead eyes, that between Maya and and, and Adolin, yeah. that I think that right there is the deviation from the plan that gives our heroes the chance to win. So I can see all of a sudden Adolin and Maya have become the... Uh, the prototype. Not necessarily the prototype, but the, the, they end up having to step in and become the champions. I can see that. I, 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 if you ask me to put money down on it, I'd give you like five bucks. Not will, there, much. will there be maybe like an echo of the, uh, the arena scene from Words of Radiance uh, where, you know, he's dueling in the yeah. dueling arena. Oh, That's yeah. what I was looking for. I could see something like that. I, I have this, the, the, the idea of a one V one battle. I just, something, I don't know. I don't know. I, I am not, I cannot <laughs> wrap myself. If there's not a battle at the end of the book, what are we even doing here? Adolin, <laughs> Adolin and Maya Lauren fighting side by side. I, well, I, I see this, uh, more along the lines of the army of the dead from Lord of the Rings coming back. Like, Oh, you have all these shard blades, the army and things. of the dead eyes. Yeah, you have all these shard blades in nice. that are are floating around there that all of a sudden, if Adolin can figure out a way to connect with them, and now all of a sudden all the people who have these shard blades can be brought into the cognitive realm to connect with them, and all of a sudden we have this whole army of dead eyes that you, if you want to carry a shard blade now on Roshar, you will go into the cognitive realm, you will meet your person, and you will form the bond, and you'll you'll do that here, and then all of a sudden that army shows up and is able because it's not subject to the same bond requirements that others are. Huh. Interesting. I'm kind of mm. I'm kind of compelled that would by be that, that would be kind of cool. I'm I'm a little nervous about this theory that seems to be prevailing and going around in circles that because of Dalinar's code, the Odium is going to name a child as the champion just to see if Dalinar can actually, you know, uh, that's L not going to be the champion. That's that not one. a real theory. I hate that's, that one, though. I'm like, oh, I don't. There's all sorts. I, I mean, I could make up all sorts of stupid crap. Sure, <laughs> so that sure. doesn't make it a good theory. No, I L see no evidence for it. This. Doesn't it? Doesn't fit the kind of writing that Brandon has done up to this point in time. I, I, L is going to be your champion. Like that's that's. You have a whole series of, uh, whatever they're called at the beginning of the the, the epigraphs, yeah, epigraphs. Yeah, part five, where it's actually L talking about, and, and it really, I, it seems like. The epigraphs are pretty, pretty clear that L is anxious to be that champion. He's yep. going to be the champion or the 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 ruler of things going forward. So, uh, I could see a way that Zeth comes around and is instrumental in defeating Odium, specifically defeating Teravangian uh, by the end of book five. And I don't know what that would do to Odium, or I don't know if that would mean that Zeth becomes yeah, new based Odium. On, based on based what we've on... seen up to this point in time, that means Zeth becomes Odium, doesn't yeah. it? Well, not necessarily. not necessarily. That's I think it worked that way because of Nightblood. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Someone has to was take up the shard. A shard that sits on its own for too long become, is problematic. Uh, someone, right. They don't have to be taken up immediately, but they usually are in those mm. situations. So... Sorry, Sorry, Todd, you looked oh, like you were going to say something else. man. Sorry, by the way, my last point on that was that Zeth sacrifices himself, so I think Zeth dies by the end of book five. Okay. Maybe, maybe not, maybe not at the end of book five, but I just had a thought. What if Moash picks up the shard 
he's being prepped to potentially be in that to be in that scenario. Okay, mm-hmm. so now I can hate him even more. Hmm. Why? Because I just want to hate him. Yeah, that's, <laughs> let me, throw, let me throw an absolute. Since we're wasting time on just absolute theories here, yeah. uh, <laughs> let me throw this one out here. Kaladin and Moash grab the shard at the exact same time. Both of them merge together in like a reverse. Oh gosh, a reverse that? harmony. Yep. <laughs> wow. Um, Everyone, wow. Thank you for the. This is where we end. Or maybe, yeah, exactly. maybe, maybe well, they yeah, grab yeah. the shard like maybe a baseball bat, and whoever touches years. the pommel first gets to be. It was a good oh, run. It was a good run. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew this is what this Rhythm of War Part Two would be where it all ended? Who'd have thought we'd have just petered out like this and <laughs> vanished in a tiny little puff of smoke? <laughs> At least we were here to see. So, it. did we did we talk <laughs> enough about Larian's transformation? Larian's transformation. Yeah. I what did you Larian. Sorry, I Larian. 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 Sorry, Larian. Larian. Sorry, I wrote it down wrong. Larian. Uh, okay, so let's talk about Larian. Um, we did just briefly mention him. Um, I hate him. Oh gosh. Yeah. Easy talk. Sorry about that. <laughs> we, you and I had talked earlier about how much you hated Liren. Oh, he's awful. And uh, all those kinds of things. And I, and I think I said in the chat, I, I see where he's coming from. Of course you do. I, I, I kind of get it. Um, and uh, yes, I agree that that I, I'm, I'm not saying that I agree with how he's tried to uh, uh, f- force or foist or. Or cajole, or yeah. whatever, whatever you know. Come whatever on, whatever the emotional version of of, uh, of coercion is. Yes, yes. Um, to get to get Kaladin to see things from his perspective. Uh, but the the moment when uh, it's very clear to me that it was a that I and I wonder I wonder if Brandon was thinking about this from a uh, boy. It would be nicer if we as people would do this, or if there was somebody in his life specifically that he was thinking about that he could say to someone, you really should do this. The The moment when Liren is told, you just have to listen. You can't talk. Just listen. As he starts to hear what the other, what, what the, what the other um, uh, people in Kaladin's little therapy group uh, had to say, and the other people that had branded themselves all with the, with the Shash brand, and he had to listen to them and to why and to what it was um there is a there is a clarity in that that i really appreciated that the idea and maybe it's because i keep looking for level 3 stuff but the idea that that the act of listening to try and understand not to hear so that you can repost but the act of listening to understand is what makes transformations happen and if somebody wants to know about the three levels, go to our YouTube channel. I just did a video on it. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll give you a little primer on the three levels. All right, sorry, Todd. Go on. That, no, that's I, I, that that for for me that was a very satisfying payoff because it moved Liren from a from a two dimensional character of uh, of necessity to a little bit more of a three-dimensional character that I'm interested to see more of what his arc might look like. I don't know that we're going to get him. I don't know that he's going to become a, 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 a factor any further uh, because his his purpose has really been served to help Kaladin have an opportunity to reflect and say, could I have done this other thing? No, I really couldn't. This is where I'd be at. This is, this is how it's going to run. But I've also been able to have closure and be able to come to 
grips with it and we we see eye to eye now we may not agree but at least we're we're not at, at war with each other and move on uh but i would be okay seeing more of that anybody I, I I'm I'm fine not talking about Liren. I just obviously I'm the old man in the group, so there yeah. you go. It's just the way that it goes. I still don't like him, but I've changed my mind later. Yep. You said it all. He has served his purpose. Yep. Yeah. And so have you. So we're we're done with your point now. <laughs> wow. Uh, no, I want to get to what that felt like. There, Whoa. <laughs> that's right. Megan is way too nice to you guys. This is, it's barely even the legendarium over there on the blue team. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so I've got a two-parter from uh, from Discord. Circle, uh, no, not Circle Breaker. Sorry, DC Blackthorn asks, "Did anyone else cry during or after Chapter One Hundred Eight moments?" And this is when Cal finally says the words after his vision with Tien, when he says, "I accept it, Stormfather. I accept that there will be those I cannot protect." Right. So the question is, did anyone else cry? And uh, the not the, even a little. And Sir Ravis says. I got a feeling that a certain panelist may have. <laughs> I got a feeling that certain panelist is all crying again. So, <laughs> yes, I did. Yes. How, how'd you do with Kaladin's big moment? Uh, not well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing at your pain, but that is just, this well, is the, this is the, it's, it's a moment, it's a moment in books that are written for Todd. It's the moment that's written for Todd. There's like three or four of these throughout this book. It's the fact that the reaction is genuine. I'm reading it. I, like, uh, okay, so I read it back when Ryan and I got the, the review copy. So we're, yeah. you know, furiously trying to read it ahead of release. Mm -hmm. And um, and there were moments when I would just stop and put a little note in there and just go, Todd. I know what's coming. Oh, man. So yeah, this this is definitely one of those moments where it's it, what what is it? What what makes a Todd moment in a book, Ryan? Let's dig into this a little bit. Is it just are we breaking into Todd's psyche on this? this is a yeah, dangerous just, thing to do. he can sit here and take it, right? But <laughs> what is a Todd moment? Is it just an emotional moment, or is there something more to it than that? No, there's more to it than just an emotional moment because there's a wide variety of emotional moments uh, that can be had in a book. But the ones that ring true, I think. Mostly with Todd, but with you know a lot of us and a Todd, lot of you people. are representative of many. Right? Oh no, I you, I, you I, are I, legion. I get it. I get it. <laughs> uh, it's it's that they There's have troop. Is that there is a level of hope and redemption to the moment that really resonates uh, with moments uh, with these things with Todd specifically, or things that can connect uh, uh, to an emotion on an emotional relationship level with for like a father to son or you know or a sibling to sibling things like yeah. that. Yeah, uh, those moments of connection redemption and hope are the ones that really resonate i i recognize the feeling in myself um like with for example the the kaladin one in this one uh the words were not a surprise i no. we were all fairly well warned ahead of time that we knew what the fourth ideal was going to be i was yeah it was pretty much what we were expecting the question is how the where how is he going he to be there? how does he get there and what does it mean? What is uh, what does it mean when he has to swear? And what what is he going through that he has to swear that? And so for Kaladin, his journey all through this book, um, having to give up so many things, have, finding other ways to protect and everything, and then having his father, who's been kind of a counterpoint of this, thrown off the building, and he's in his deepest depression uh, that he's been in since pretty much book one, uh, that he throws himself off the building to give him the moment. Uh, to come to the redemption because of his connection to his brother. 
uh, it's, it's a perfect recipe of there's the connection that he has there. There's the redemption, the hope. All of those pieces came together in this beautiful moment. Um, and if you want to know the really true, the powerful triggered moments in other books, you look uh, back in Oathbringer, words of writing, so things, especially in Oathbringer, it is a moment where someone makes a choice of hope. And all of a sudden, it is an incredibly powerful moment. And those resonate really strongly with me. I know they resonate really strongly with Todd. They do. Um, and a lot of that, I think, comes from being in positions ourselves personally at different times in our lives where having hope had to be, had to be a choice. And it was a choice that felt out of reach. And so to read it in a book, to feel those connections and, and recognize them on a personal level just adds that extra layer that just makes them so incredibly emotional for us. Speaking of layers, I think we just peeled one off of Todd J. Winty. <laughs> I don't know what your middle name is, man. I have no idea. I've kept it secret because names have power. Um, <laughs> Ryan, you're absolutely right. It is, it is in moments when, uh, for me, in all of these, uh, in all of these powerful moments that that wind up reducing me to a situation where I have to stay in my car for an extra five minutes before I can go in the house. Uh, they are they are moments where choice is the figurative term and where the choice is not is not universally, it doesn't make everything okay. It acknowledges that it's still gonna be ugly. But we choose to move forward anyway, and uh, for and and I I wrote down as one of the things that I wanted to talk about that was was that was that moment of choice the idea because with with watching Kaladin go through this process recognizing and and you know if, if other people that may have had opportunities where they where they look at this kind of an idea where you want to help people get through stuff and you can't you just can't and you have to let go because. You have to spend the re you you have others that require the energy, and if you're spending all of the energy on the ones that you cannot help, then you lose them all. And so that was, and and uh, that moment for Kaladin, yeah, very powerful. But it also resonates on those levels. It's about making a choice and recognizing that just because you make the choice doesn't make everything okay. It means it's still going to be ugly along the way. But at least you've made the choice intentionally. It's not just something that's happening around you. And every time you make that choice, and every time that happens, you are empowered. Literally, in this book, yes, you are given a new. Uh, uh, it may not be much, but it is usually just enough to push you over the edge uh, of the next portion to get yeah. you through to the next step. Mm. So. Yes. So you must have loved the conversation between Yasna and Yanagon. Do you remember this? They're in the tent, uh, the, the Emperor of Azir, oh. and uh, she is railing against hope. Dalinar's talking about hope, and she kind of spits it out. Hope, you know how dare yeah, you use that yeah. word? Yeah, I hate that word. What does it say? Um, Republic. Hope is always hope. irrational, Uncle. Because fortunately, we are not entirely rational beings, nor should we want to be. She agreed. At the same time, how often has hope been the reason someone refuses to move on and accept a realistic attitude? How often has hope caused more pain or delayed healing? How often has hope? prevented someone from standing up and doing what needs to be done because they cling to a wish for everything to be different. I would say, Yanagon said, leaning forward, that hope defines us, Yasna. Without it, we are not human. Yeah. And very, very simple, pointed response to her. I have diatribe. a daughter. I have a daughter right now who, every time the word hope comes up, she gets angry. She, she taunts us. 
we gave her a bear for Christmas, a little a little beanie bear. Remember beanie baby bears? Yeah. How, how old's yeah. your daughter? Uh, she's she's sixteen. Okay, she's sixteen. Uh, and it was a little angel bear. Uh, and it says hope on it. And uh, we 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 set it on her. We set it on her stand. And her cat came over and knocked the bear off the stand onto the floor. <laughs> and she said, "I've taught her well." <laughs> and so I'm as I was reading that, I was seeing my daughter, and I was like. Oh well, yeah. This is gonna this this one's gonna get ugly before it gets better. <laughs> Just very entertaining. But the, both sides have merit. Um, if we if we think that the hope is exterior to us, then yes, it stops us from doing everything. If we think that the hope is pointed at something interior to us, then we take the action. And that's where, in that particular conversation, I would have gone, eh, okay. Let's let's talk about it. You can look one way or you can look this way. Uh, if you choose to look this way, hope is what unlocks the power. Whereas if you're looking for it to be saved, because I hope that someone else will save me from stuff. No, most of the time it's not going to happen. Hmm. You have to. You're you're gonna have to take action yourself. Yeah. What's our time looking like, Ryan? One hour. Wait, okay. All right. We better oh, start man. looking at wrapping it up. So what I want to do is uh, we'll, we'll go around the horn here and just do some favorites from the book, little things, big things, whatever, just uh, kind of a final thoughts. What did you uh, What did you like? What did you, What jumped out to you? What do you want to talk about before we call it quits? Well, we didn't even touch much on Terravodium at all. I well, mean, go ahead. I, oh, I got geez. a question uh, here I from- so much. Uh, was a circle breaker in this case, said uh, Cosmere Odium honestly doesn't do much for me. Uh, Circle Circle Breaker says that it reminded them too much of Ruin from the Mistborn series. Sure. Uh, but then, uh, but then when Teravangian took up the Shard of Odium, suddenly it became a much more interesting character. Uh, so, yeah. I don't know. What What are your thoughts I, on that? I think that Ray's had kind of he'd kind of run his course, as it were, as a as a vessel. I mean, he was. We don't know anything about him. We don't know anything about him, but we know that he had become quite unhinged, and we know he he has kind of been because of the epigraphs we know he'd been losing control and maybe odium itself was was slipping through a little bit more so it sounded like he needs a more stable vessel and think what you want to think about evangelium but it feels like cultivation kind of this was not meant to be a play on words cultivated him to be where he needed to be and how he needed to be at that moment because his smart moment was he had one smart moment that drove all of this stuff and the times that he was most malleable or most emotional were when he was stupid and it sounded like he needed that compassion um compassionate moment to be able to take up the passion that is odium and i don't know if I, I'm. I'll be interested to see how Odium affects Teravangian, but I'm more interested to see how Teravangian, in in his emotion and compassion, affects and restrains Odium. Ryan, we talked during our Lord of the Rings series about how it it mattered what state of mind somebody was in when they acquired the ring. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how yeah. Bilbo was able to get rid of it, how Frodo was able to make it through his whole journey, and why Gollum ended up the way he did. Um, is there a similar thing, maybe a play here with? the state Teravangian was in when he picked up the shard. It is a calculated effort by cultivation to ensure that he was smart enough to put himself on the path to be there. And he was receptive enough when the moment came to be able to take up the shard of passion. Uh, It is 100% the state he was in. And I, I think that we never got the exact 
you know, why were certain days this way and certain days this way? Um, I'm pretty sure cultivation had enough foresight to know that at this moment he's, is when it's going to happen. And that's when he needs to be the most malleable. Um, I, I will tell you my biggest takeaway from that whole thing actually is I'm really concerned about cultivation. She has me worried. Very, very worried. Oh, You're yeah. saying that you don't think all of her moves have been altruistic? So I'm saying that cultivation has been playing. She, there's even a comment made in the book that cultivation has been playing with humans, trying to get her three people. She's trying to get to Teravangian, trying to get to Dalinar, and uh, to um, Lyft. Now, because yeah. when when Dalinar goes and visits the the old magic, mm-hmm. there's there's the night watcher, which is her spren, which is her spren. It's not cultivation, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, am I? Gosh, I hope I'm getting this right. But anyway, the point is, a lot of people only ever meet the Night Watcher. But yes. She, but cultivation actually came in person to Dalinar. Yes. It sounds and, like, and you're saying like that's and not Teravangian. on and lift, right? And lift. Yeah. Those and three. That's not on accident. That's not on accident. I don't think anything that she does is on accident. She is picking her champions specifically to maneuver. Uh, I really want to know what her reaction, what her motivation is. Uh, in terms of dealing with this, because from the sounds of the conversations with the sibling, uh, and every, what we know about this is that she and Honor, Cultivation and Honor, were a pair. Yeah, those two were romantically involved, or you know, whatever pairing that is. And so now, her setup to do the to have this running with um, Odium, it it seems is it's either it's either vengeance against yes. Ray's mm-hmm. to say I'm going to destroy you and put your shard in someone else. In which case, great. Now we've got someone, maybe she can work with him to make it so that the good guys can figure out how to work the void. I don't know. Or she's now decided that she's going to drive things in another direction and is, is it, a bad guy. Yeah. So is the is the prediction here that by the end of book five, Odium will be neutralized in some way? You know, maybe somebody we like will pick up Odium or maybe that shard will merge with some other shard, you know, be neutralized mm-hmm. in some way. And cultivation would be the big bad of six through ten. I could see that. Um, I don't think so. I don't think cultivation is going to be the big bad. Um, if you want to get this is another one of those. I won't hold. I will not put any money down on. It. I won't put it very hard. You know there. But I could easily see uh, honor cultivate like whatever's left of the splintered chart of honor, cultivation and odium being joined into one big bad. For six through ten, hmm. that Ugh. could be interesting. Yeah, and the con- consolidation is, of shards. Yeah, similar to what happened in in other Cosmere books, mm-hmm. uh, but that person would not be constrained, no matter the result. Theoretically, no matter the result of the uh, the the battle, the champions' battle hmm. would not be constrained and required to stay on Roshar. So much for final thoughts. Well, and I, <laughs> you know, the other thing about the other thing about Teravangian becoming Odium picking up the shard of odium is that all of the negotiation all of the all of the contract was built around wit's experience with rays not around wit's experience with teravangian mm-hmm. and so as we were as i was reading that last piece uh especially the part where he's losing did he lose all of his coins or just one of his coins i don't know if it ever says that he lost all of them he lost breath that was associated with with the memory with, right with the memory there yes um 
but I don't think he lost the coin itself. I think he just was removed. I think just the breath, the, uh, just the memory was removed. All, all, all I know is that when I read that, I said to myself, oh my goodness, we're, we're watching something that, that is uncharted territory for everyone because we now no longer, not, not only does Wit not have his foresight or his memory of those things, but even if he had them, they wouldn't apply. Because we're de- we're not dealing with he wasn't dealing with the shard of odium he was dealing with rays right and so all of the negotiation all of those little pieces that he put into place uh, now we've got Teravangian who can use well, the those. contract is still in force and odium is still the force that it is yes but, but he has already figured out something that rays could not do because of his deteriorated state that Teravangian can yes is find the loopholes right or yes. something which is something what he already in does. Yes. knowledge of of Dalinar that rays didn't know. Well, it's it's showcased in his ability to take that breath because yeah, uh, the fact that he goes through says, "I don't think I can do this, but I can do this to you," and he does it. Yeah, I'm fine. Okay, I'm good. And that's that showcases his ability to kind of push buttons and and test yes. around mm-hmm. the edges of his powers limitations. So yes, it's it just it, it was a way to showcase him as more dangerous and to ensure that the surprise is still there uh, because otherwise, if Wit had if that hadn't happened to Wit immediately, he could have immediately left run back and said, guys, problems. Right. We've got a major issue. Hmm. Is the Chasm Fiend Eshenai reincarnated? No. I don't think so. Thanks for playing, though. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I actually, I like that theory. I was being dismissive just for fun. But I know. I'm used to it. <laughs> it's not that I haven't experienced that I'd before. Never, I'd never thought of that before. So basically, her hmm. essence from her she uh, becomes, gem heart. She becomes a spren and goes into the gem heart. I don't think that's how spren work. Uh, when reading that, reading that last chapter, when they were talking about this is your experience, you're going through this this transformational experience. I can see that either she becomes a spren and then in uh, goes into the gem heart of the chasm fiend, or that some of her essence transfers into the gem heart of the chasm fiend, and the chasm fiend is able to change because of that. Void spren hmm. were taking over Kremlings and manipulating them and stuff to do their little spy work. So who knows? I mean, she was but a, but she a, was radiant when she died. Maybe she found some Kaladin or uh, some Kelsier type way, spoiler, to Spoiler stay. needs to come before you say it usually. But. Yeah. No. <laughs> we we, said, hey, we said spoilers at the very beginning of this episode. So, so anyway. Um, but maybe she found a way to tie herself back to life. I don't still. know all the mechanics of how it works. I know that they have gem hearts and that Spren have something to do with gem hearts, but it's I not like that is the spirit of a listener or singer. Right. And no. so, uh, so there are three realms, and the spren are tied to the cognitive realm primarily. Yeah. And so, it doesn't make any sense to me that that uh, a spirit leaving the body of a of a parshendi would it would operate in the way of a spren. I, I I I could be wrong. Like I said, I'm not totally clear on the mechanics. But... It would require a variation of the current explanation because spren are concepts and ideas and things that are given made manifest made manifest it would basically be it wouldn't be that esh and i became that it would be that the memory of esh and i took enough strong enough form that it became it's own. Hmm. Ooh, interesting okay but okay. there's been nothing building up no to indication this, that, of that that's it would brandon would be doing a lot of explaining all of a sudden on that one of course i mean there were no indications of a lot of stuff that we got in this book you know as far as uh Nivani's notebooks and all that stuff like yeah. <laughs> that all that all came about in a single book, so who knows? Yeah. All right, we we beat 
uh, that final thought to death so thoroughly that I'm not sure we have time for anything else. But Todd, do you have one more thing you want to go through? Or, nope, uh, I'm good. Ryan? Nope. I'm going to call it good for myself too. Oh, okay. Ken's got another one. It's my. Now. It's a very fast final prediction mm-hmm. and it's really kind of irrelevant, but I think that... The, I'm glad you're going to tell us then. I think the prologues for Keepers of Wisdom or whatever book five is called is uh, Gavilar-centric. I think we're going to get Gavilar's Gavilar. perspective yeah, on the prologue. Yeah, that would make sense. So. Yeah. I like that. The end. That's good. Yeah, I wonder what it is what what's going to be called. It's I don't know. It's going to be K O W because right. the way the Ketic works. But I, I'm just going to keep coming is up. Is it with going it. to be K O W T? I don't know. I don't know if the counts in these Ketics. Does it? Well, so they, far are it the has. Being it was in five. On this, it would have to be. Yeah. It was the words of radiance and the rhythm no, of war. No, it was just so. words of. Radiance. Oh, it was just words of radiance yeah. and was and rhythm of war. That's right. So yeah, okay, let's get hung up on this. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> uh, appreciate you coming by. I uh, hope you enjoyed the, uh, the episode, whether you listened to it or watched it. We appreciate having you. Um, I hope you go to Patreon.com/slash Legendarium and support the show if you enjoy what we do here. And uh, make sure you go to thelegendarium.com and click on the link for the Discord community. Join us there yell at us about uh, well there was a lot in this episode frankly <laughs> that you could let, yell at me people if people will go after somebody else you know maybe ryan or ken made some, you know like a, a lore mistake or something people are going to go after me for being such an a-hole um and that's fine that's uh, this was this is not my finest hour why you would know, they as, do that as a good person you know it's i'm, I'm practicing okay <laughs> so yeah go do that on discord and join us on the next episode which will be about a thing to the things that we talk about. I don't know what it is yet, so we'll figure it out. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.